Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. Once again, that's 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, hello there, and welcome to today's program. Um, uh, boy, we've got a lot to talk about today, but we've got a uh, primary agenda, and that's um, something that goes on in schools every day, and especially that goes on with challenging kids, the functional behavior assessment, or functional assessment as it's known. We're going to talk quite a bit about that today, um, but let me do my usual intro stuff here. Um, Sorry that we missed last week. I was out of town and indisposed. But now we're back together again, and these, as always, are your 45 minutes. If you're working with a kid who's not responding very well to Plan B, if you're running into trouble using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, if you're having difficulty getting your colleagues at school to buy in, now let's get more specific. If you're having trouble drilling for information in the empathy step, if you're having trouble brainstorming solutions in the invitation, if you're having trouble figuring out what your concerns are in the define the problem step, well, this is the place to call in. Get your questions answered. Get the support you need. Comment. Ask questions. Or just listen to what's going on with other people who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. Once again, those call-in numbers 646-727-2691. Did I say call in numbers? It's call in number. 646-727-2691. If you're not the type to call in, you can always send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. And today's program is taking place in the new offices of Lives in the Balance. Nice for lives in the balance to have office space. Boy, way do you see what this nonprofit does down the road. We're just getting things organized here. Of course, there's a beautiful website with all kinds of great resources on it already. But um, we've got big plans for lives in the balance as it relates to providing people with support making sure that people have free resources. And um, the goal, of course, is to not ask anybody for a single nickel to do it. Lives in the Balance isn't about fundraising. It's about making sure that people have access to the collaborative problem-solving approach. So do call in if you've got uh, something on your mind about how things are going with collaborative problem-solving in your school these days. Um, I uh, mostly get emails from folks who are having difficulty uh, applying collaborative problem-solving. One of the more recent ones, I promise I'll get to the functional behavior assessment shortly. One of the most recent and memorable ones um, from someone who's having trouble um, 
in the empathy step with a kid who's very hyperactive, impulsive, and inattentive. Um, and it's not because the kid isn't participating in the empathy step. It's because the kid doesn't necessarily have a great deal of in, insight about the fact that he's hyperactive, impulsive, and inattentive. There are lots of hyperactive, impulsive, and inattentive kids who don't have a great deal of insight about their hyperactivity, poor impulse control, and inattention. And um, sometimes people get frustrated with these kids in the empathy step because they want the kid to tell them more, when in fact there's not all that much more sometimes for the kid to tell. Um, especially that hyperactive, impulsive, inattentive variety. They don't necessarily have any insight about why they're having difficulty doing what they're doing. However, they may have insight about the conditions under which their hyperactivity, poor impulse control, and inattention are especially problematic for them. That they may have insight about. They may have insight about the academic tasks that require the most energy and attention for them. That they can probably answer. But we shouldn't expect them to have insight about why they're inattentive, impulsive, and hyperactive. So it's not necessarily insight that we're looking for from these kids. It's um, information. Not necessarily why, more who, what, where, when. I was uh, on the phone this morning with a uh, school in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and um, one of the things we were talking about is how in that uh, drilling for information phase of the empathy step, we really need to move beyond the vague generalities of the kid's initial response. Um, I'm stupid is too vague kid doesn't necessarily feel stupid all the time. He feels stupid situationally. It's too hard, too vague. It's not too hard all the time. It's too hard situationally. That's what drilling is about. So the advice that I gave um, these wonderful folks in Gloucester was um, just focus on the word what. If you, if you have to pick one of the four, who, what, where, when, and you're drilling for information in the empathy step, pick what. Uh, what is it? that makes you feel stupid? What is it that's hard for you? Um, it's always got when, where, who, but she twisted my arm behind my back and said, which, which one should you have primarily in your mind? It might be what. Ask a bunch of what questions. Once again, you're not looking for insight. What's hard? What's getting in your way? What's causing you trouble? Got some other email that we may turn to before the day is up, but let's turn to our main topic for the program, um, the functional assessment, something that goes on in schools often when people are trying to figure out the answer to the question, why? Why is a challenging kid challenging? See, if you don't answer why, then you are at risk for applying the same rote intervention um, to every kid 
no matter what difficulties the kid is having. And you don't want to do that. you got to answer the question, why? Um, when's in there? When's big? Here's the problem with a lot of functional assessments. The, the definition, number one, a functional assessment in and of itself is not a bad thing to be doing, and a lot of folks are pretty much required to do it, so you're on the hook. So it's not a bad thing to do a functional assessment, but it really hinges on your definition of the word function. The contemporary, popular definition of the word function, first of all, function brings with it the belief that all behavior has function. All behavior is functional in some way. And the contemporary definition of function is that the behavior is working for the kid. That's the synonym, working. It's working at helping the kid kid get something he wants or escape or avoid something that's tedious or difficult or scary or uncomfortable or boring. The basic belief um, is that the behavior is functional and that it is working for the kid in some way. This, I believe, is what leads us to many of the conclusions that we come to in the functional assessments that I've read. Working, well, what's it getting the kid? Often, the um, preconceived conclusion about what the behavior is getting the kid is attention. I, I would have trouble remembering a functional assessment that I've read over the last 15 years where it didn't say that the kid's challenging behavior was being exhibited for attention. It's attention-seeking behavior. That's how it's working for him. The problem, of course, with that is that if your explanation guides your intervention, if how you explain a kid's challenging behavior leads you directly to what you're going to do about it, then if you think he's doing it for attention, then the intervention that flows logically from that is to withdraw attention. That, that could be by holding him in from recess. That could be by suspending him from school. That'll withdraw attention. Somehow you want to withdraw reinforcement. At home, you might put the kid in timeout. Timeout from reinforcement. What if you're wrong? What if this isn't for attention? What if it's something else? then we answered why incorrectly and therefore what we do about it is going to be off base. I don't think challenging behavior is getting the kid anything and even if it is getting him something, whatever it's getting him isn't anywhere near as good as what he'd be getting if he was doing it the right way if he had the skills to do well. Doing well is always preferable to not doing well, but only if you have the skills to pull it off. It could be that the behavior is functional at helping the kid escape or avoid something. One of the, in the literature, one of the things people have written about fairly extensively is how suspension helps a kid escape school. Well, that Yes, that there's the possibility that a kid would prefer to be out of school rather than in school. 
but only if he's not doing well in school. But he wasn't born not doing well in school. How did it get to the point that he'd prefer to be out of school rather than in school if doing well is always preferable to not doing well? Boy, things must have gone awful wrong in that building for that kid. For him now to prefer to be out of school, even in instances where maybe he does want to be out of school, that's just at the micro level. At the macro level, he'd prefer to be doing well in school. Escaping and avoiding? I think kids only escape and avoid when they're lacking the skills to deal with what's directly in front of them adaptively. It's when we all escape and avoid. What's the true function of challenging behavior? Not that it's helping a kid get, escape, and avoid. By my goodness, if we if we believe that a kid's challenging behavior is working for him, then what's the goal of intervention? To prove to him that it's not going to work. That message is usually delivered in the form of punishment. Or to try to elicit what some folks call replacement behaviors that we adults think will work better, that usually accomplished through use of reward. The traditional definition of function has led us directly to what we usually do, a reward and punishment program, as reflected in a behavior plan. Now, I don't think it ought to be called a behavior plan. I think it ought to be called a uh, problem-solving plan. I don't think the behavior is functional in that it's helping a kid get, escape, or avoid. I think the behavior is functional merely in the fact that it communicates to us adults that the kid doesn't have the skills to do it better. Because if he could, he would, because kids do well if they can, and because doing well is always preferable to not doing well, but only if you have the skills to pull it off. A problem-solving plan. We adults are in the problem-solving business when it comes to helping behaviorally challenging kids, not the motivating business, not the reward and punishment business, the problem-solving business, the not the unilateral problem-solving business, the collaborative problem-solving business. Challenging behavior, I'm repeating myself here, doesn't help the kid get, escape, and avoid when you're taking the wider view. Challenging behavior simply communicates to us adults that the kid doesn't have the skills to do it better. It's about skills. It's about unsolved problems. It's not about getting, escaping, and avoiding. So the question came up this morning, how do I incorporate the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, the key assessment instrument of the collaborative problem-solving approach, how do you incorporate that into your functional assessment? Well, as I said this morning, I think you have a productive discussion with the ALSIP as your discussion guide. Your functional assessment has basically been practically written for you. 
let's think about this. In the top section of the LSIP, that's the lagging skill section. By the way, the question always comes up, how do we use the LSIP? Should we, should, do we fill it out and then get together and, and get information on what each person has checked off? Not my recommendation, although I know people do it that way. Um, the disc the ALSIP is best used as a discussion guide. I don't think you understand a kid's challenging behavior by checking or by circling items. You understand a kid's challenging behavior by discussing that kid's difficulties through the prism of lagging skills. It's those lagging skills in that section of the ALSIP that helps ensure that the adults have the right lenses on. This is not unmotivated. This is not attention-seeking. This is not manipulative. This is not limit-testing. This is not coercive. This is lagging skills. Spend 20 minutes in the meetings that take place already going through the lagging skills in the lagging skills section of the ALSIP and slowly but surely the lenses of the people talking about that kid will change. The language will change. And when you change your lenses, the stance you take toward that challenging kid changes along with it. Then, Take 20 minutes to fill out the unsolved problems section as a group and try to achieve a consensus on the specific, the highly specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably precipitating challenging behavior. Another part of the discussion that came up in today's discussion was that challenging behavior is highly situational. Challenging kids aren't challenging every second of every week and hour. They're challenging sometimes under some conditions, on some tasks, in certain situations. One very important ingredient involved in helping challenging kids is to stop describing them in very generic global terms. He's a pain. He's nasty, he's mean, but rather to describe them in situational terms. He has a lot of trouble getting started on his social studies project in my class, and that's what sets the stage for him to talk to the kids around him, and that's what sets the stage for me to warn him about that, and that's what sets the stage for him to get sent out of my class, and that's what sets the stage for him to access our school discipline program. So, yeah, I understand that the behavior is he's talking out in class, but the unsolved problem that sets that behavior in motion is having difficulty getting started on his social studies project. Now, if he should respond disrespectfully to our confronting him on the fact that he's talking in social studies class and well then we might describe him as disrespectful but disrespectful comes way after the unsolved problem that set it in motion in the first place difficulty getting started on the social studies project we describe kids in global generic 
terms, especially the challenging ones, too often. I'm not exactly sure what to do about the disrespect. I know that most of what is done about disrespect doesn't work very well and doesn't increase the likelihood that the kid's going to be any more respectful, but I sure do know what we can do about the unsolved problems that are setting the disrespect in motion. That, Well, that's why we're filling out the unsolved problems section of the ALSIP. So I don't know if you want to write disrespectful in the unsolved problem section. I think you want to write in these specific conditions in which the kid is becoming disrespectful. Those are the problems that need to be solved. Am I helping you write your functional assessment here? The why of challenging behavior? We're replacing attention-seeking, manipulative. It's being reinforced with lagging skills and demands for those skills, in other words, unsolved problems, then we're being very specific about what those unsolved problems are. Very specific. Then we're prioritizing. Which two or three unsolved problems do we want to be working on with this kid right now, starting today? so that once we get those unsolved problems solved, we're not seeing the kids' challenging behavior in response to those unsolved problems anymore. I think I might be writing the problem-solving plan, formerly the behavior plan, as well. What's a problem-solving plan? The, the plan that says, here's the kid's lagging skills, here's why he's challenging, here's his unsolved problems, and we've been very specific about these, and here's the two or three unsolved problems we're working on right now with him. And here, and you might need one other sheet of paper for this, by the way. There's another sheet. Sometimes I refer to collaborative problem solving as a two-sheet intervention. You're definitely going to need the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems because that's going to help you see the kid through the right lenses and make sure you got all his unsolved problems identified. Then, and you can download both of these, by the way, from the Lines in the Balance website. Just go to the paperwork section. Then you want to download and print out the Plan B flowchart, because that's where you're going to write in the unsolved problems that you're working on with this kid. Oh, you don't have to use the Plan B flowchart. You could just put your high-priority unsolved problems into your problem-solving plan. What the Plan B flowchart also includes is places to write in who's going to be doing Plan B with this kid on that particular unsolved problem. Then it helps you track what was the kid's concern on that unsolved problem. That's the empathy step of Plan B. Then have we identified the adult's concern yet? That's the define the problem step of Plan B. Then have we agreed on a solution? That would be a result of the invitation step of Plan B. Is the solution working? If yes, for long enough, well, you're ready to... That's a solved problem. It's not an unsolved problem anymore now. It's a solved problem, and it can come off the Plan B flowchart, and we can add something else from our list of unsolved problems to our Plan B flowchart. sort of a rolling 
admission problem-solving plan. It's flexible. It evolves over time. It's fluid. As problems get solved, they come off the Plan B flowchart, and new ones find their way on. Oh, there's other good stuff happening, by the way, as we're solving problems. Our relationship with the kid is improving dramatically. The information we're gathering from him is growing exponentially. Uh, the way we're communicating with him has changed fundamentally. As problems are getting solved, his challenging behavior is being reduced. That's a problem-solving plan set in motion by us using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems as part of the process in which we are trying to figure out why this kid is challenging, when this kid is challenging unsolved problems, prioritizing, getting to work doing plan B, monitoring things over time so that as problems are solved, new ones show up to be solved. That's your functional behavior assessment, but as you've now heard, it hinges on beginning by having a radical sea change for many people in their definition of function. It's not that the kid's getting, escaping, and avoiding. It's that he's lacking crucial cognitive skills, and that's especially problematic for him when those skills are being demanded. That's the clash of the two forces that I've referred to many times during this program. Those are unsolved problems. I love it. Boy, I wish more people who were doing functional behavior assessments were doing them the collaborative problem-solving way. This was a fun discussion I had with my friends in Gloucester this morning. They're going to be working on creating a new form that becomes the new instrument they use, the new outline for their functional behavior assessment. And I told them, we'll post it on the Lives in the Balance website when it's done so that lots of folks can use it. But they're excited. I'm excited. So many kids with behavioral challenges get lost because we're viewing their difficulties through the wrong lenses. It's a real shame. I don't think kids with reading inefficiencies would do well if we were viewing their challenges as attention-seeking, manipulative, coercive, unmotivated, limit-testing. We wouldn't be doing well by kids who had language processing delays if we were viewing their difficulties through those lenses. Why do we still 
view challenging behavior as manipulative, attention-seeking, coercive, limit-testing, unmotivated. Because not enough folks realize that challenging behavior is a form of developmental delay, that challenging kids are lacking crucial cognitive skills. That's why the lagging skill section of the ELSIP is at the top. I find that it's hard to start talking about unsolved problems until people have the right lenses on. The right lenses come first. Then it's easier to become specific. Let me take a look at some of the... Uh, other emails that I've received and um, answer some of these other questions. Um, this kid is being described here as, um, well, see, here we go. I'm reading this email. I'm not going to read it exactly, but here's this kid who's being rewarded for doing no work at school and as I'm reading through this, it's clear that the kid is saying, it's not that the kid won't participate in Plan B, it's that um, we're not getting enough information out of the kid in Plan B. The kid is saying that he doesn't have to do the assignments because he has a 504 plan that says that he is exempted from these assignments. Clearly what we have here is a difference of opinion because the, as I'm reading this, this is from the kid's guidance counselor, um, who's saying that she feels that the kid clearly does have the skills to do the assignments and that he's just using his 504 plan as an excuse. Well, that's... Um, wouldn't he be doing the assignment if he could do the assignment? If he can't do the assignment, he's not going to do the assignment. But the kid is giving us some information. He's saying that he doesn't have to do it because of his 504 plan, but I'm reading this email further. He is saying that it's too hard for him. Good. Time for some what questions. What is it about the assignment that's too hard for you? And we don't leave the empathy step until we really feel like we have a clear understanding of what the kid is really trying to tell us. It's true. Kids do sometimes try to escape and avoid assignments, but not the assignments they can do, the assignments they can't do. Now we've got to find out why they can't do them. We, we get so caught up in the fact that the kid is trying to escape and avoid. That's just the surface. Once again, he wasn't born escaping and avoiding. That's something that cropped up over time. And when unsolved problems remain unsolved and the kid has no way to solve them, well, of course he's escaping and avoiding. There's no other solution, no other viable solution coming into play for the kid. But that's the symptom. The issue, the unsolved problem is that there's something getting in his way. So I do hear a lot from people who are sort of getting stumped on trying to figure out what that is. They are 
very caught up in what the kid is doing to escape and avoid and not looking at the deeper factors that are the reason the kid is trying to escape or avoid in the first place. That's lagging skills. If all we do is write a behavior plan filled with incentives for that give a kid the motivation to do something that he's escaping or avoiding, we never figure out why he's escaping or avoiding, and we never address the factors that are setting the stage for him to escape or avoid because we never figured what they were out in the first place. That's the information that we uncover in the empathy step of Plan B. And if the kids' difficulties, once they're uncovered, are never addressed, then the problem won't be solved. And this is the pattern that I see all too often. We continue to apply the only tool that's in our toolbox, motivational strategies, to a problem that isn't well understood yet. And the problem doesn't get solved. And even with all those motivational strategies that we're applying, the kid doesn't do better, and he doesn't get more motivated. He gets less motivated. That's what happens over time. When an unsolved problem remains unsolved, when the factors setting in motion that unsolved problem remain undiscovered and unaddressed. It's an epidemic. An epidemic. And the cure is getting good at the empathy step so that we get the information that we need. The cure, even before that, is making sure that we have the right lenses on, beginning with our definition of function, beginning with the lenses that we're wearing when we're doing our functional assessment, continuing with using the ALSIP, identifying lagging skills, identifying unsolved problems, prioritizing which unsolved problems we're working on, making sure all of that information finds its way into our problem-solving plan, formally behavior plan, improving our relationships with these challenging kids, improving communication, and slowly but surely making things better by getting, solved, by getting problems solved collaboratively. Boy, there are sure a lot of folks in a lot of schools starting to get good at this, and a lot of challenging kids who are benefiting in the process. Well, it looks like we're going to have a short show today. Um, that's what I wanted to talk about today. We don't have any callers today. I didn't set the stage for any callers today. We we do have some plan for next week. If all goes according to plan, we're going to have a school principal joining us next week from a school in Maine, a, a school in a uh, not-so-easy neighborhood in Maine, and a school in a high-poverty neighborhood. But this is a principal in a school that has embraced collaborative problem-solving and is working with parents and kids to help 
make things better. Um, you'll find out who it is next week if, if we actually uh, have this come through. We're working out some scheduling kinks. Um, another show that might be down the pike that I've been talking to some folks about, we may, we may have a, a faculty meeting take place on this program in a few months with a faculty that has a bunch of questions about collaborative problem solving and we may use this program as the mechanism through which they get those questions answered. So, lots of fun stuff coming down the pike, but as for today, I want to thank you for listening in. I hope you found this program to be informative and um, I'm looking forward to having you with me for next week's program. Take care.